Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Joshua Bell is perhaps the world's most famous violinist. At 39, he was called America's greatest classical musician, the kind that he would fill up Carnegie Hall at a minimum of $100 a ticket just to hear him play. In 2007, a news outlet put him up to an experiment. He was in D.C. for a concert, and so on the day following, they anonymously put him in one of the metro stations there in D.C. during rush hour. He played for an hour with his hat out to collect tips. Keep in mind, thousands of people just paid a lot of money the night before to see him. Forty-three minutes, he stood there in the metro station playing Bach and Brahms in the station. No more than six people stopped. He made a grand total of $32.17 in donations, not counting one tip of $20 from one person right at the end who actually recognized him. It's possible to miss some of the greatest things in your life because your heart is not tuned to look for them. Sometimes our hearts are so dull and so distracted that we don't even recognize the majesty of who Jesus is in what this time of year represents to every one of us. And so this week, next week, the following week, we're going to talk about anticipating Christmas, the anticipation that we have. And today I want to talk to you about the promise, Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to this famous Bible story. One of the big themes in Luke's, Luke's gospel is that That first Christmas came and went with most people unaware that anything had happened. Have you ever gotten an unexpected or or unwanted gift or Christmas gift? You ever had that before? Think about it. I mean, we know our best gift that we've received so far, but what's the worst gift that you've ever gotten in your life? Okay, I remember uh, one year, one of my relatives... Uh, relative, you know, you could always count on for a nice gift, aunt or uncle. They they actually gave me a belt, and um, I, and I'm sure it was a nice belt, and I'm sure my mom told them that I needed a nice belt, but it was a belt, and I opened up the packages with such anticipation, expectantly, so excited, and literally had to fight back the tears when I saw what it was, and this was just last year. <laughs> just kidding. Some people listening. I just think I was about nine years old, somewhere like that. You know, God's gift to us at Christmas was unexpected, Uh, but if you knew what you were looking for and you recognized the majesty when you saw it, it wasn't disappointing. Luke 2, starting verse 22, and when the days of their purification, that's Joseph and Mary's, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If you roll back into the Old Testament in Luke, excuse me, Leviticus 12, God commanded each Israelite family to dedicate their firstborn to God by means of an offering. We remember this well, Passover, you remember that, and we're very familiar with that, that when the death angel saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over their house and spared their son. So when they gave birth to their firstborn, they were to travel to the temple, offer a lamb to commemorate that. Now, this text says that Mary and Joseph offered two pigeons instead of a lamb, which is an important detail to note because that was an exception made 
for very poor families. If a family could not afford a lamb, they said in the law that that they could bring two pigeons or two turtle doves or a partridge in a pear tree or whatnot. But what that shows you is that Jesus was not born middle class. He was born poor. But I think what it does show us inside of that is that even poor people can offer their first and their best to God. Listen, if you're poor, if you're downtrodden, don't feel second class. Jesus identified with you first. And God has a plan wherever you're at today, and that plan will turn out well because it's his plan for your life. So we see that Jesus was born poor. But what happens next is totally unexpected because it says there was a man, verse 25, in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous. He was devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform uh, that which was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. I love that. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And it's kind of crazy here. Mary and Joseph are there with hundreds of other moms, dads, presenting their babies. And and an older guy runs up to them, grabs their baby, and starts singing. How would you like that? Your parents, right? It's like, whoa, 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 hey, respect the distancing here. Wash your hands before you touch my baby and all those things. But, but, you know, it's kind of funny as you take a look at it is, um, you know, kind of ladies or older ladies kind of do this kind of thing. They love pinching babies without asking permission and saying weird things like, I could just eat you up. <laughs> Nothing you'll hear out of a man or an older man say that. But ladies will get away with that, right? That's true. And that's okay. Which leads to another important detail in the story. Luke says, it was the Spirit of God that gave Simeon this insight. And I want you to understand that that's the only way anybody can accurately recognize Jesus. That the irony here in this story is that all these rituals that the Israelites were going through at the temple were supposed to prepare them for the Messiah when he came then the irony of the whole thing is that those Israelites most steeped in the rituals were the last in line to recognize him. And I think this lesson here is so important. Keeping rituals and traditions are great, but but more often than not, they can keep us from seeing Jesus and who he is. Think about it. Many of us have already started to go through the motions long before today. Some of you right after Thanksgiving, you're like, I'm putting up the Christmas tree. You're putting that up. Some of you have a real. Some of you have a fake one. You listen to never-ending Christmas songs on Spotify. You watch all the Hallmark movies about the big city lawyer girl who comes home, falls in love with the tractor-driving high school dropout who looks like Matthew McConaughey. Right? Sometimes you have your stuff just setting, right? You're just going to do this and do this. Maybe you're reading the Advent story. But, but listen, hey, in this season, let's reflect on the wonder of who Jesus is. It's busy. It's really crazy. There's a lot of things going on. 
And I hope that you can take some time to pull back and you can really reflect on the true meaning of what this time of year really means and come back to the wonder and the awe of who Jesus is and his majesty. That's a great reminder. See, the good news is, is that the Spirit's mission on earth, it's why he came to help people recognize Jesus, to see him. And you have to ask for help for sure, but he will give you the Spirit, the Bible says, without measure to those who ask for it. Verse 33, it says, He, Jesus' father and mother, were amazed at what had been said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. Then it says, There was also a prophetess Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was also well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God day, night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. There's two people here that have something in common. They're both up there in years, and they're both hanging around the temple, waiting and longing and anticipating something. You have Simeon, whom the text says was waiting for the consolation, which is actually the comfort and the relief of Israel. For most Jews, that pointed to political uh, deliverance for nearly 700 years. We're well aware of that Israel had been subjected to by oppression, by foreign powers, started with the exiles to Assyria and Babylon. And we see, and even when the Jews were in their homeland under self-rule, their kingdom did not have near the glory it once had under King David or King Solomon. So Israel was anticipating, and Israel was waiting for deliverance, for justice, for restoration to promised glory. Simeon being old represents the posture of long waiting that happens. And then we have Anna, whom it tells us had been a widow for 84 years after being married for seven. That's incredible. And it's safe to say that no girl of 16 dreams of her life turning out this way. Being married for seven having your husband die and living for 84 years on your own. And in that day, being a widow, you understand that they were most likely poor, no way to provide for themselves, often lonely, with no one to take care of them. They're waiting. They're yearning for something greater. She yearns for personal relief. She yearns for personal comfort that would come her way. I want to take this time today to talk about Two observations when you're anticipating. The first one is waiting is a key component of the Christian life. I said this statement the other week, and it's come to my spirit again, that waiting is the key component for every person that is in Christ Jesus today. Waiting. There's a reason Luke brings two characters in this story. It's to show that Jesus comes to those who wait on him. And there are is a reason they're both old. They, they show that they've been waiting for a very long time. Sometimes we talk about the Christian life as if it's instant fulfillment. It's immediate answers to prayer requests. If you do A, God will give B, but that's not always true in that moment, right? 
that we do want something immediately when we pray for it. I do, right? You hope it comes and shows up right now or at least tomorrow. It's going to be there for you. Many of you today find yourself in a posture of waiting this Christmas, a time that feels dark. Maybe it's a time of confusion. Maybe you feel abandoned. And as I reflected on this message today, I thought about how we've been uh, keeping you abreast of the Clearbrook property, how we have been waiting for an answer on that property because, you know, a year ago we took up monies to pay for that property and we're able to pay for it cash. And, and uh, as we've been believing and looking forward, we know that uh, going into it, there was uh, enough what they call wetland credits. There's just under two acres there that we need to build on as well uh, of the six to put a building and put a parking lot. But one of the things is, as we came up and got our site plan ready, they told us there's no wetland credits available anymore. And uh, to the engineer, that was absolutely unheard of. They've all been purchased. So we have been in this season of waiting for this, but we haven't been sitting on our hands. We've continued to move forward, and we've continued to pray and, and uh, trying to look for property for off-site mitigation. But also... A couple of weeks ago, I put an email in to our Lieutenant Governor Winston of Sears, and so uh, her office has asked a few uh, qualifying questions back, and so we're going to follow back up and uh, continue to ask for their help. But I'm going to ask you for help as well, that you would pray with us, that this property would come loose and so that we can build, right, Pastor Ben, what we can build for the Clearbrook campus up there. How many of you will continue to make that a matter of prayer with us? You know, sometimes in the waiting, it's very confusing. God, I thought you told us this, but nothing seems to be happening. And that's where some of you are at today in your life. You're going through something. God, I thought you wanted me to do this, to move forward, but nothing seems to be happening. It's a season of longing, longing for something maybe in your life to be set right, the injustices that we see all around us, maybe you've been a victim of it. Maybe you, like Anna, are yearning for some need to be fulfilled. Life just hasn't turned out the way you expected it to. Maybe it's a, a longing today for you to have your family be put back together because it's splintered. Or maybe to have a family of your own. Or, or maybe you were hoping to be married by this time, but you're not. Or you're grieving the death of a child or, or, or a family member today. Maybe today you're grieving a miscarriage from this last year. Or you're waiting on a son and daughter that is a prodigal to come home. Waiting. And here's the thing. You've tried everything you know how to do. You've gotten advice. You've prayed. You've believed. You've worked hard, but still things have, haven't gotten any better. And Simeon and Anna's story shows you and should show us this, that God sees you when you're waiting. And he hasn't forgotten about you. And that waiting doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Waiting is the essential part of the Christian life. God will not disappoint those who wait for him. That is really the biggest message that you see coming out of this. Waiting is essential, but in your waiting, don't miss out on the majesty of who he is. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this as, as he talked about being reminded of Christmas. He said, the Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is, a season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time 
when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Christmas reminds us that we have a lot to be thankful for, but a lot of us are waiting. We're waiting for this, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for new heaven and a new earth. If you believe that, say amen. For Jesus to come and make things right and for all the sad things in our life to come untrue. Whether you have a specific need, a yearning for heaven, Simeon and Anna show you and me that God has not forgotten us today. Number two, in your waiting and anticipating, here's what we need to know as well. God's answer will not match your expectations. Most of the time in my life, I found that out. I'm praying for something for God to show up, and he doesn't show up the way I think he's going to show up. How about you? And I think it's safe to say that neither Simeon nor Anna was thinking that a helpless baby born to a poor family was God's answer to their longing, but he was. You see, what Israel thought they needed from God was different from what they needed most. And here's what I want to tell you, the follow-up on that is, God's answer is always better than your expectation because he knows what you need more than what you want. Amen. What they thought they needed most was political deliverance or maybe it was a new relationship or something to be fixed or restored fortune or a new husband, new wife. What they most needed was restoration with God. That is eternal life, what John 17 talks about, this abundant life, the, the fullness of joy, to know and to walk with our Father in heaven. And, you know, we may think what we need most is physical health, financial assistance, family reunion, but what we most need deep in our souls is reunion with our Heavenly Father. You and I were created for God. We were created for Him, whether we know it or not. That's why... Blaise Pascal said, this great Christian philosopher said, that the human, hole has a gi- the human heart has a gigantic hole in it. That hole is not filled by money. It's not filled by romantic love. It's not filled by family, job, success, political peace, and prosperity. It is filled only by Jesus Christ. That's why St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You were created for God. You need to be restored by Him, and He is your Messiah. Born as a baby to live a life you were supposed to live, and then die the death you were condemned to die, and He did it in your place and mine. See, the arms you stretched in romance were His arms. The security you've looked for in money is found in His presence and His promises. The significance you craved in the approval of others, from your parents, from your spouse, from friends, from the likes on social media, that's found in hearing him say, you are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. See, God is good. And and we're supposed to ask for that goodness to break into our lives and into our families and into our world. And, And we can and we should pray for physical healing. Yeah, and to end our loneliness and and for political help. But first and foremost, Jesus came to lead us into fellowship with the Father. Because, again, that is eternal life. That is fullness of joy. That's what's abundant. And apart from that, it's only superficial. What God did was unexpected. But it was exactly what they needed. Are you ready for God to do the unexpected in your life this Christmas.
And I don't care how spiritually mature you are or how, much, how certain you feel what you need most from God. Sometimes you have to be ready for God to do the unexpected in your life. And listen, if there is no room, if there is no room in your heart for God to surprise you, maybe it's not God you are worshiping. We need to think about that. And never lose the awe and the wonder of who He is. If you're going to really come to God, there has to be room that you make in your life for Him to do the unexpected. Sometimes the greatest love God shows is not fixing our problems, is it? But He uses our problems to open our eyes to see the treasure of who He truly is. And sometimes that comes through pain. Think about it. How does a surgeon bring peace to your body if you have a tumor in it? He or she cuts you and has to take the tumor out. How does a therapist bring peace to a downcast, depressed person? Often by dredging up the past, getting you to remember and confront painful memories. Often you have to feel worse before you can ever feel better. It's the same thing with spiritual healing in us. Sometimes the path toward peace leads us through valleys of pain. Sometimes God answers our prayer by giving us what we asked for. Sometimes He doesn't. But what he does know is the deepest longings of our heart and the peace that you are looking for are found in the knowledge of who he is. Simeon said two things here, verse 29, I can depart in peace. And that's a powerful statement. Having had the Spirit of God that opened his eyes, he could depart in peace. Listen, you have to understand this. Nothing changed in his circumstances. Israel was still under Rome's rule, Right? He would still be a victim of injustice, but he was at peace. He was at peace. Nothing had changed with Anna's circumstances either. She was still a widow, yet she was at peace. Let me ask you, can you be at peace today? Well, absolutely. What do you require in order for you to depart this weekend in peace? A change in circumstances? Could it be a resolution of some injustice that's going on in you, some kind of personal vindication, a spouse, a, a child coming to faith? What is it? What would you say that is? And imagine this today, this uh, ring of keys as the keys to peace in your heart. Some of you take these keys because it's yours and you take them and you take them off one by one and you hand them out to people you know and love, your wife, your husband, your children, your banker. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, maybe not. No. <laughs> Coworkers, teacher, principal, whatever it is. And, and then you step back and you tell everyone that they better treat you the way you want to be treated because they've got the keys to your peace. And here's why that's not a good plan. The first is they will let you down, guaranteed. And listen, you can't even be mad about that, really, right? Because guess what? You have probably let them down, too. And here's what I know. You've let yourself down. No one has let you down, lied to you, and disappointed you more than you. Because every morning when I look in the mirror, I'm looking at the person who has let John Miller down the most, right? And the same thing is for you. So if I've let me down, I can't be surprised when others do the same to me. So it's silly to give them 
the keys to my peace. That only Jesus should hold the key to your peace. Oh, he says, yeah, I I have my peace, and my peace I give to you. Yeah, we're to give his peace out. It's not our peace. It's just a transfer of it to people around us. Because only he is faithful. And it's only he that can guarantee it. I can't guarantee it. He can guarantee your peace. That's what Simeon and Anna do here. They saw that Jesus held the key to their peace. And then once they saw Jesus, they entrusted themselves to him. And then they could depart in peace. So today, is he and he alone the keeper of your peace? That's a question we only can answer ourselves. Then in verse 34, it says, this child's destined to cause the fall and the rise of many. Simeon said, this baby boy is bringing a dividing line. And Simeon said, he will cause offense. Because of him, Simeon said, the thoughts of a lot of hearts are going to be exposed because of his claims. The truth about uh, them will be revealed. Remember, Scripture even says Jesus is a stumbling block. The baby's going to grow up and preach that none of us are good enough to go to heaven, and he is going to give us his gift. That if we accept it, we will make it in eternity with him. And we're going to have to receive that humbly like beggars. Jesus did not come to this earth so you and I could be a better person. He came because you can't be a better person, and you and I have to depend on him to save us alone. I know that hurts because it attacks our pride. We've got to give something up there. And he's going to demand absolute lordship from us. A lot of people don't like that either. Maybe they don't have a problem with religion, but they do have a problem with retaining control of their lives. They want to keep their hands on the reins. But he's the only one that can save us. He is the Messiah for all of our needs today to bring us peace. This baby boy will bring a dividing line and all of us are going to be challenged. Even Mary was because see what Simeon said to her in verse 35, a sword will pierce your soul also. Few people in the Bible are presented to us as admirably and as attractively as Mary, right? Yet she didn't even get it completely right. She was seriously, uh, she seriously mistaken who her son Jesus really was and what he's about. As a matter of fact, she tried to stop him. Mark 31, uh, 331 says, Jesus' mother and brothers found his claim in ministry to be literally in, literal insanity. So they tried to bring him home by force. You imagine him. He's talking to them. You know, they're like, no, you need to uh, come. Uh, I'm not sure what he's really saying here. You know, he's the Messiah and we got to get him out of here. It's a little insanity. Mary didn't even get it 100% right. And it's a challenge so that we see that she was challenged, we're challenged by it. That means you shouldn't expect uh, anything different than to be challenged by who Jesus is. I say that maybe one of the signs that you've really encountered Jesus is that you've wrestled with him. Really giving yourself to Jesus will feel in some ways like a sword in your soul, challenging your pride, the control of your life, the idols that you hold high. And and if you've never wrestled with 
this deep challenge, you probably have never grappled with him. The baby boy will draw a dividing line, and that dividing line will separate people for eternity. And that's why John 3, we're reminding, he who believes in the Son will have everlasting life and will belong to God in eternity, and those that don't will perish without him. The most important question you ever consider is what side of the dividing line are you on? Or have you surrendered to him? Have you given yourself completely to him? Or are you still without him? Which side are you on? Jesus did not come so that you could be a better person. He came because you and I can't be a better person without him. That is a promise. That is true. Have you received him? Are you living in peace today? Speaking to this many people and people that are watching us online, I can tell you that there are people here, the people in the sound of my voice, some of you, you don't have peace in your heart. Today, you can make that change. I love that. You, I can depart in peace. Say me, I can depart in peace in here. Thank you, Master. You're the one that gives me the promise of your peace. I'm anticipating that today for you. Wherever is going on in your life, whatever you're struggling with, that today you can receive him. Today you can depart in peace and truly see Jesus as the treasure in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, your son. Lord, I pray that today we can take a step back from even our own lives for just a moment and reflect upon the majesty of who you are. That there is no other name like your name to save us from our sins. That there is nobody else like you. That we would get our eyes off the things, Lord, that don't matter. And we would put our heart and our mind focused and fixed on you today. I pray that for people in this room that are waiting. They're waiting for the promise. And Lord, we see throughout your word that it's all throughout the Bible that believers in Christ waited. And it should be expected. Waiting on you. And Lord... You promised to us in our waiting that, God, you will never let us be put to shame. But you will fulfill your promises. So for the person that is waiting here, that is sick in their body today for your healing as you're waiting on him, God is your answer to that. He will never let you put, be put to shame. To the parent here that's waiting for their lost son or daughter, the prodigal, to come back to you, that, Lord, we trust in you that in our praying and in our waiting, God, you're going to answer that today, God. You're going to draw their hearts to you. To the marriage that is in this room that has been divided, splintered, broken, Lord, in our waiting, we're asking you to put that back together in Jesus' name. For every need of our heart today, Lord, we give to you. Maybe today as you come, you said, you know what? I am going to 
raise my hand today. Yes, I'm waiting for something, but I'm waiting in hopeful expectation that it is yet to come through Jesus' name. If you're waiting with hopeful expectation today, can I see your hand on anything, everything? Thank you. So, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for these needs. Lord, we are not hopeless people. We are people that are filled with hope and the promise of who you are. Bring your supernatural peace, I pray. Lord, you may not come the way we think you will and show up in these, but, Lord, we're going to trust you because more than what we want, you know what we need. And that number one need of our heart is to have a restored relationship with you. Maybe as you come today, you realize you're on the other side of the Biden line. You're not where you should be. That's why you don't have peace in your heart. You can very easily take care of that today because Jesus didn't come just to make us a better person. He came so that we could have eternal life and to be more like Him. Today, if you're ready to take a step across the dividing line and you're ready to make your decision to follow Christ, in the honesty of your heart and your life today, can I see your hands? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Father, I thank you right now. I see that hand on the balcony. Lord, I thank you right now that you're the one that meets every person at their point of need. And the greatest need is eternal life and our restoration that we would have. So, Lord, we confess with our mouth that, Jesus, you are Lord. We believe in our life and our heart today that, God, you are our Savior. You are our Lord, and we are come expectant today. Lord, in this Advent season for your second coming, for a new heaven and a new earth. And may we all leave here today as people that we can go in peace. In Jesus' name, I pray your peace over your people. I pray your strength over them. I pray your protection over them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray this. And I thank you for it, God, that we can't give other people our peace, but we can give other people your peace that is desperately needed in this day and in this hour in our world. In your mighty name, we pray. And everyone said, Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.